I envision a Tonga where when a cyclone is to rise or when a disaster is to happen, we wouldn't be worrying about the capabilities of our houses, of our families in withstanding through the storm. I also envision a Tonga in the future, in 2035, in which we are being, you know, led by a women female prime minister, hopefully by myself. If not, I am happy if it could be anyone. Meet Anna Malia Falemaka of Tonga, youth mentor and ambassador with the Talitha Project. A busy young woman juggling studies, her activism and all the other roles involved in being a young Pacific woman, she is one of four young people of the region who in this episode will share their dreams for the future. Welcome to VOSA, celebrating creators, thinkers and changemakers from across the Pacific, exploring what makes us tick, what motivates us and what the future looks like in the communities and region we call home. Thanks to the World Bank Group's Youth Summit for supporting this special partnership episode. I know we said we would share an episode with stories of looking after each other through COVID-19. That's still on the way. In the meantime, we thought we'd make the most of the waves of excitement building as young people around the region prepare to take their voices and ideas to this year's World Bank Group Youth Summit on the 26th and 27th of May. It will be the first time ever that the summit will be held in hybrid mode, hosting thousands of delegates online. If you're a young listener, you still have time to register to join. Details are in our show notes. This year's Youth Summit is themed Unlocking the Power of Inclusion for Equitable Growth, dedicated to diverse solutions for environmental, social and economic inclusion. So what is equitable growth? What do we mean by inclusion? Who do we mean when we say we? Who better to define this for us than some of the most spirited changemakers of our region, our young people? Anna is joined by Yasmin Poole of Australia, Nelson Kokoa of Papua New Guinea, and Elizabeth Kite of Tonga, all young people of the Pacific who will share with us their vision for their communities in 2035 and what they think it will take to get us there. So first, let's hear from a country that I think it is safe to say has experienced one of the most tumultuous years in the history of our planet. Here's Anna. I was first introduced to the Dalita Project and the work they do in 2017, um, when an opportunity came for myself as well as some of um, my friends from school to be a part of one of their empowerment, uh, girls empowerment camp. I think for me, for the first time, um, I was exposed, um, empowered um, on knowledges regarding the issues that girls, not only here in Tonga, but in the Pacific uh, are facing. Um, it's kind of where I first learned about gender inequality. Um, uh, we learned about so many different things like domestic violence. It was at that moment that I kind of knew how important it is to join the fight against these issues. Anna's family-oriented upbringing sparked a passion in her to make a difference for young girls and women. She remained with the Talitha Project over the years, helping with activities and advocacy at home and abroad, and is now a member of the Talitha Project board. The Talitha Project is a non-government organisation, um, an NGO here in Tonga that specifically works towards women, uh, young women and girls empowerment. So we have many different projects across Tonga. Um, 
with the goal of empowering young women and girls ranges from um, having uh, trainings or camps, as like have I mentioned. Uh, we just wanted to empower girls, you know, to know their rights, you know, that the, their rights to having access to education or their rights, you know, pretty much Dalita Project works into girls' empowerment. Uh, we have different projects um, such as the uh, Front Row Against Women project where we encourage the participation of uh, women and girls in rugby um, in sports. We also have other projects that um, include uh, the uh, financial empowerment of young mothers in communities. Climate change is central in Anna's activism, having lived through the experience of Cyclone Gita and its impact on Tonga in 2018. Number one would have to be, you know, the impacts of climate change in our region, experiencing firsthand how disasters are intensifying over the years and how they have brought many destructions and damages not only to our uh, country infrastructures and our homes, but also into our livelihoods. I'm really passionate about um, joining the fight against um, climate change because, you know, I've seen it from for myself, you know, I've experienced it. Um, I remember back when we had Cyclone Gita here in Tonga, in 2018 that was kind of like the first time I kind of opened my eyes to see how serious this issue was and how important it is to you know to join the fight as a young person and also encourage other young people to join the fight. A worthy cause for sure, an existential one for our planet and a future that belongs to young people. Anna has a dream for that future. She calls it a crazy dream. I say why not? My dream for the future is to see um, a first uh, female prime minister here for Tonga. Um, I also have this crazy dream of hoping to become um, one of Tonga's first female prime minister. So growing up here in Tonga, I've always seen how, you know, in our community, starting from home and then coming out to the communities and then, you know, in our government and the country as a whole, most of our um our leadership roles are occupied by males. Um, and this was kind of proven um, in our recent uh, election here in Tonga where none of our uh, MPs that were elected into government were females. So all of our representatives that were elected were all males. And, um, you know, that just kind of encouraged me more to advocate how important it is, you know, for women to be included in, um, in leadership roles because, you know, we, are, you know, as women and as young girls, we have the right to uh, express our opinions. You know, we are smart. We have so many experiences and like, so many ideas um, that we can um, share on, on these platforms. For Anna, there are tough societal issues that also need to be brought into the light. If we are going to build a future together, we need to take care of one another. Mental health, um, especially for young people, from experience, I we're in a culture that we're kind of, we are really free into expressing ourselves, having the pressure of social media, you know, the many pressures in life to succeed. This is an issue that, you know, should be of importance to everyone um, here in Tonga and in the Pacific as a whole. 
you know, sometimes a joke when you talk about uh, mental health and some people don't really take it um, seriously, especially our leaders, our, you know, um, and our parents. But I feel like this is this is another important issue that that we should all take note of and, um, you know, work together to achieve. With climate justice, women in leadership and mental health in mind, Anna shares her vision for the Tonga of 2035. I think my vision for a Tonga in 2035 is pretty much a country in which we, first and foremost, you know, in which we are no longer experiencing harsh impacts from climate change. Um, I envision a Tonga where when a cyclone is to rise or when a disaster is to happen, we wouldn't be worrying about the capabilities of our houses, of our families in withstanding through the storm. I also envision a Tonga in the future, in 2035, in which we are being, you know, led by a women female prime minister, hopefully by myself. If not, I am happy if it could be anyone. Um, and I also envision a, a Tonga in 2035 in which, you know, um, our government, uh, including um, young people in discussions, um, and not only the inclusion of young people, but, you know, making sure that their voices are being heard. Um, oftentimes, I feel like the governments do say, yes, we have um, included these uh, young people in these discussion, but sometimes we have, you know, they have failed to given um, young people the opportunity to speak, um, you know, to express their opinions, to express their ideas. Um, and I also envision a Tonga in the future where we don't really have to rely on foreign aids um, in helping us develop our country. I envision a Tonga that where we're relying on our local talents, on our local resources, you know, to empower our economy. Um, some of the milestones I am hoping uh, would be established in terms of ensuring that women are, are included and are participating in, in leadership role, especially in government, is probably an establishment of a law here in Tonga that secures a, a few seats and spots in parliament where women that are particularly for women representatives. And not only women, like I feel like the inclusion of the other communities in our societies, for example, you know, people with disabilities, it's the inclusion of everyone. It's the inclusion of everyone. Young people are seeking to open doors of opportunity and keep them open, not just for themselves and others like them, but for everyone in all their diversity, deserving a voice in building the future. Growing up, I was always interested in politics from the moment that I started high school. It was something that kind of captured my attention as, as a space for change and for, to really make a difference. Yasmin Poole is an award-winning speaker, writer and youth advocate. As a young Asian-Australian woman, she has a keen interest in politics and its potential for making change and bringing voice to a community in all its diversity. When I was growing up, I would switch on Question Time in Australia, which was basically the debate that they would have, you know, I think it's every week or every few weeks. And I remember looking at it and going, there's no one there that looks like me. And that was me as a young Asian-Australian woman. And I guess that was kind of the start of thinking about, well, why doesn't spaces of power look like my identity? 
and what are the barriers to get there? Yasmin's upbringing and studies gave her a keen awareness of difference and the many ways in which this affects people's access to the services and opportunities needed to survive and succeed in life. I was really fortunate to go to a great school on a scholarship, but my family didn't have much money growing up. And um, I think I really only felt that difference going into university when I suddenly became quite aware of class. And I think also, you know, I get that was also got me thinking about, well, who has the opportunity to go to spaces, you know, elite spaces or privileged spaces or spaces for opportunity to, to get to the next stage and who doesn't have that opportunity as well. Yasmin was also shaped by a gap year she took after high school to figure out what she wanted to do. She started working in retail, earning minimum wage, and began volunteering at a couple of youth-led NGOs. I was in an organisation that was led by young people. So the CEO was under 25, and I'd never seen that before as an 18-year-old. And it kind of gave me this confidence boost, first of all, that young people can do all of these things, which was advocating and mobilising and and demanding, actually. I'd never kind of been in the position to ask. I'd always been listening. But it also made me wonder, why isn't this talent and energy also represented in politics, which is we were always trying to advocate and we were always trying to pull, but we just, again, didn't see ourselves there. So I think all of these different experiences made me really interested in um, you know, who has access and who doesn't have access, what, what will the world look like if it does have that access, and all the positivity that can flow from that. Yasmin's conviction has grown from meeting women all across her country, women she admires and who she believes have so much to offer in decision-making. I've been really fortunate to meet young women across Australia and every time they remind me of how bright and talented and you know essential that we that we listen and use their voice and they also use their lived experience to understand the world and it's that unique viewpoint that we often lack in decision making. As she pursues her studies, activism, work and life experiences, Yasmin stays focused on bridging the gaps in the differences and inequalities she has experienced and continues to see around her. She encapsulates this in one word. Intersectionality. That has been such an important word for my growth as a young advocate because when I started high school, I thought about, you know, and and think about feminism. It didn't seem as close to me. I couldn't figure out where I belonged in all of that. And the reason why is when it would be International Women's Day, for example, it would be a panel of wealthy white women that would talk about corporate leadership. And that couldn't have been further away from my reality as a 15, 16-year-old. What I did feel really passionately about was my mom and her story as a migrant woman, a Muslim migrant, and you know, understanding her experience in Australia. Now, looking back, and what I understand is it isn't just race when it applies to my mom. It was also race, gender, and class. And back then, I didn't have the words to verbalize that intersection. So that, to me, is what intersectionality gives me. It says that when we talk about something like gender equality, it doesn't just mean white women that have power, for example, but we are all standing at an intersection of our various diversities, whether that be race or age or class. Intersectionality isn't just a fancy word. Essentially, it's this. A decision-making body must reflect the community it represents, because if it doesn't, 
Its decisions are likely to leave out the interests of people whose diversity is not represented in decision-making. Yasmin uses an example from her days as chair of the Victorian government's Youth Congress, one of her first ever leadership roles. What was really powerful about that group wasn't just that we were young people providing advice, we were diverse young people. So there were young people who were LGBTQ or refugee backgrounds or First Nations backgrounds, disability, there's all of these different backgrounds. And these aren't separate from my identity as young people. They shape our experience of the world. So for me, that helps me to communicate in that language of diversity and also for us to realise that, yes, for example, we might be women, but we also start at different points and we can also face different social prejudice or different discriminations. Sometimes they're not even you know, as obvious on the surface, for example, you know, something like lack of mental health support for people who might have not the finances to do so. So sometimes they might not even be visible, but they are there. That's why I call myself an intersectional feminist to show it isn't just, just youth broad and blanket. It isn't just gender, because when we do that, we forget about those who often sit on the outside of the conversation. And it's those who sit outside or those on the margins or the footnotes, you could say, that I really want to support and amplify. Knowing where her focus is, Yasmin turns to the future and describes her vision for the Australia of 2035. She gets straight to it. The first thing I would like to see is a parliament that actually looks like the diversity of Australian societies. So for our listeners who you know don't know the stats, I think around less than 30% of women and around 4% um, come from uh, are people of colour, essentially. You know, and I want to look at politics and not just me. I want a young woman with a similar background to turn on the TV and see people that actually not only look like her, but I guess understand and can vocalise her reality in a, in a space of power like Parliament. And that I really think would make a difference in developing our national identity to see beyond what we've typically seen in leadership, to show that there are different types of approaches and viewpoints that that actually represent us better than what it's representing now. For spaces to be more representative, they also need to be safe for all. For the Australia of 2035, Yasmin raises an issue that has forced a national reckoning in her country this past year, calling for an end to violence in all forms, in particular sexual harassment and assault. The second thing, and this is you know truly a utopian world, but an end to violence in all forms, but especially sexual harassment and assault. So last year, Australia had a national reckoning around this problem when there were um, basically allegations against federal parliamentarians that they had engaged in this inappropriate conduct. Um, a young woman stepped forward to disclose that she was sexually assaulted in parliament um, by a staffer at the time. And it showed I guess, how deep this problem goes when something that should be a space, it should be a national example, became an example of the problem. And it triggered um, protests across Australia to not only um, march for justice about that issue, but about the violence that um, survivors face more broadly. So I would love, you know, for that to end and that requires investment, that requires support and empowerment of survivors stepping forward. It requires our institutions changing and validating them and listening to them. Everyone should feel safe and accepted in all the spaces they live and work in. And for Yasmin, this extends into the digital and real world of our local communities. After all, no change is achieved and sustained without community. 
and she wants to see this as a hallmark of Australian communities in 2035. I also want to see a better community feel to where, wherever we are. The reason I say that is because, in, especially in my space, you know, I do a lot of work through social media. It's my platform and tool. But I also fear with the nature of our algorithms that we just don't speak to each other anymore and we speak in silos. And I think one of the most healing feelings for me as an activist is feeling community. And I would love a, a feel of local community wherever we are. And I do think that helps us to kind of push through together. And yes, says Yasmin, a big change that needs our collective effort is that of climate action, something that will be long overdue for Australia in 2035. I want climate action. And, you know, Australia, you know, it trails behind in terms of international standards. We, we ranked last out of all developed nations in 2021 for moving away from fossil fuels and our greenhouse gas emissions. I want our leaders to be taking this problem seriously. I want us to be using all the abundant um, sunlight and wind that we have in this country and putting that into innovation. And I want us to become a leader in this, to, to shift our mindset beyond what we've done to what we can do. Finally, Yasmin returns to intersectionality and her desire to see it reflected and practised in the decisions and policies made in the Australia of 2035. I want us to become a leader in intersectional policy making. So when we talk about things like gender equality policy, I want it to be normal and standard that we use the word intersectionality because that's what we are. And that's something that I am also on a mission to do is to mainstream and normalise this word so that even those who are older or from you know, not from diverse backgrounds, can understand the importance and I guess have the language to articulate what we need to do and how and who we need to include. So here's this vision of Australia in 2035. What milestones does Yasmin want to see along the way? Like Anna, Yasmin goes straight to the top. I would love to see more diverse prime ministers. In this country, in Australia, we've only had one female prime minister Julia Gillard, who, you know, you ask any Australian and most can tell you that she was treated in a sexist way and it was a learning lesson for how far we need to go. But I would love to see a woman of colour who was a prime minister in Australia. I would also love to see a First Nations prime minister. And in Australia, we have um, Indigenous history, Indigenous community, and I would love to see that barrier be broken. I think if we have a First Nations prime minister, it would mean so much um, to in terms of where we've gotten as a country because Australia has a really um, shocking history about its treatment of um, Indigenous peoples. So I would really love to see that and it even makes me feel almost emotional just to imagine that in terms of how that would um, shape us as a nation for the better. It makes me feel emotional too. <sighs> Yasmin's next milestone has to do with breaking barriers to higher education. I would also love to see more scholarships at um, universities. So, you know, for context, I went to one of the top universities in the country. It ranks last for low socioeconomic representation. So I want to see that flipped and to see, you know, you know, our best universities making the space for people that won't be able to access it, to be, you know, be forging through with scholarships and support and to have a really great representation of those who traditionally wouldn't have access to university. Yasmin ends by touching on a note that so many young people are stepping up to speak about. The right of everyone to live with dignity, including mental health care. I would also love to see 
basically initiatives that support everyone to live with dignity. And that includes things like free mental health care support. That includes raising the welfare rate. Um, I want to see things that can allow people to just live and to have the mental space to live rather than to survive. And it just strikes me as, I guess, um, you know, first of all, unfair that that happens, but yeah, think about our democracy and that some people who are born in a certain background have the time, have the resources, have the connections and the mental energy, most of all, to pursue change. And when somebody can't even feed themselves, it's not fair to demand them further time to engage in politics or advocacy if they're just trying to put food on the table. That was something that I experienced growing up watching my mom, who didn't have the space to think about these things because it was always the next day and supporting her kids. So I want to see initiatives that that give people the space to exist and be and also to have interests and, and have passions. And right now some people have all the space in the world to do that and others never have the chance to do that. Even on mental health support, you know, the more that I, I get older and I look around, God, there's a lot of trauma <laughs> in terms of thinking about even leadership. You know, why aren't leaders willing to listen or all of this stuff? A lot of this is just you need to talk it out and you need to get through these issues. And I think, you know, it only gets worse if you if you hold it in. So I think I, I, do, I truly think we'd have a better world if we all just get mental health support. Like every single one of our guests keeps saying, it's not just them. It's you too who can get involved, whether it's in an issue you relate to or by registering to link in virtually to the upcoming World Bank Group Youth Summit. Yasmin was in the organising committee, and according to her, it will be a conference that dives deep into the question of what holds some people back and what privileges others. The theme for this year's Youth Summit is unlocking the power of inclusion for equitable growth. We're going to be talking about gender and race and class and disability and all of these really interesting, you know, interesting parts and exploring the intersections of those things. So we have people from all different backgrounds, activists, government officials, um, you know, artists to come together to have this discussion in Washington, D.C. Um, the event is nearly entirely virtual, so you're welcome to join from wherever you are you know, across the world. We already have thousands of registrations, so registrations are open now. There's also a case competition and a pitch competition where thousands of submissions have been narrowed down to a final six submissions. So check out what young minds are dreaming up to make real change and real impact for equitable growth. Details to registration and to explore more about the summit are in our show notes. Nelson Kokoa of Papua New Guinea is the eldest son of an eldest son. This role played a formative part in his upbringing and steered his course towards his activism in an unexpected way. I didn't realize how much people were um, counting on me to be successful until I reached high school. And I put emphasis on the word successful. As in Papua New Guinea, success is measured by how many houses you have or how many cars you have. Success is getting a high school diploma or attaining a university degree. And I quickly realized the pressure of being the firstborn once I reached grade 12. Nelson found himself having to choose a university. His father's goal for him, which became his goal, was to always get straight A's and to get into the top university in his country. 
the University of PNG. Long story short, um, my father got his wish. I graduated from high school with, with flying colors and I got into the University of Papua New Guinea. And that was my one goal for the longest time. I, I loved the attention I was getting. I loved the praises that I was receiving from the people in my village that I lost sight of, of my own dreams and I lost sight of who I was. And this led to me failing my first year of university because I went into uni with the mindset that I was set for life, that my purpose was fulfilled. And the, the, the moment I got into uh, uni, that was honestly one of my, one of the worst days of my life, seeing a failed near my name and getting told that I was going to be suspended for a year. I honestly had no idea what to do or how I was going to tell my parents, especially my father, about it. Nelson rallied and broke the news to his father. He received a surprising response. Um, I pulled myself together and I told my father, I, I just remember just bawling my eyes out and I just felt like a, a complete failure and a disappointment. And, you know, I was expecting my father to, to scold me, you know, as a Papua New Guinean father would. But instead, he told me that, that he was proud of me. So that was, that was something. With this encouragement, Nelson made the most of the year of suspension to reflect and set goals for when he got back into university. It would set him on a path to the work he does today. Once I got back into uni, I, I joined a movement called the, the King Generation, which is a movement um, supported by an, an NGO here in PNG called The Voice Inc., which is a youth development organization. Um, it was when I participated in one of the programs called the Dream Program, where I discovered my purpose in life, which is to empower young people and to be of service to others. Um, I now run and help facilitate this Dream Program with the Voice Inc. all around the world. And uh, I tell you, it is rewarding seeing the people I run the program have that light bulb moment when they realize why they're placed in this universe. Now at 24 years of age, Nelson is in his final year of studies at the University of PNG, majoring in chemistry. He is a clean generation leader with The Voice Inc., a lead next ambassador for a global future with the Asia Foundation, and an archer leader with the Kokoda Track Foundation. I am very, very, very passionate about empowering young people because you know here in Papua New Guinea I'm pretty sure it's the same everywhere else in the world but there are so many young people with no direction and no clear vision of what they want to achieve in the future um, you know right now I'm pretty sure um, a grade 12 student's goal is you know to get into uni like like what my goal was like I said I'm very passionate about realize their full potential and just to realize why they are placed in this universe um, to, to just to help them have a clear vision of what they want in life um, 
And that's that's been my work for the last four years, five years, just reaching out to young people, not only in high schools, but in the, um, the settlements. Everyone has a purpose, no matter their start in life. And that's what drives Nelson in his work with his peers. A lover of the arts, he is organising an art activism night at the Moresby Arts Theatre in Port Moresby, with young people expressing themselves through poetry, dance and music on issues affecting them, including gender-based violence and mental health. With art being its own form of dreaming, Nelson shares his dream for PNG in 2035. For him, it starts with a slogan. So there's this slang that emerged a few years back that says, um, take back PNG. And I never really tried to unpack slang until last year when I had a conversation with one of my friends. And that's when he asked me, you know, why are we taking PNG? Where are we taking PNG? You know, who are we taking PNG back from? And how, how do we take back PNG? Nelson sees a PNG in 2035 that is self-determining, with its people in charge of their natural resources, doing their part to take essential services to their places of origin. Personally, I think when when I think about taking back PNG, I think about Indigenous Papua New Guineans taking back their land. As citizens of PNG, we must wonder and ask ourselves, you know, what are we giving in exchange for this aid? Papua New Guinea is, we call it a, a rich country because it's so rich with so many natural resources. My definition of taking back PNG is just for us, indigenous Papua New Guineans. It's going back to our villages where, where we're lacking in basic services, you know, we're lacking in education, you know, um, basic you know, health services. Um, we have, we literally have no roads going to the rural parts of the rural parts of Papua New Guinea. No, it's very hard for for people in these rural parts of Papua New Guinea to you know to commute to hospitals in the main province, the main towns in these provinces. We can't just sit sit down and complain about the government the government providing services to you know our people back in rural areas. No, it's it's time to you know take a stand and go back and take ownership of our, our land. You know, it's starting from the micro level and working to the macro level. So my vision, what I think PNG would look like in 2035 is, I see a lot of empowered Papua New Guineans going back to their villages, to their land, and just providing basic services. To get to the 2035 he envisions, Nelson sees conversations and momentum growing for young people to play a greater role in leadership. Leadership roles in parliament, for example, to create the change they dream of for their country. There's been a lot of talk about youth representation in the parliament over the last few months. Having conversations about, you know, we represent parliament, so I'm I'm very looking forward to having the youth of Papua New Guinea represented in Parliament because, you know, at such a time, the, the, the demography is on our side. You know, 60% of young people in Papua New Guinea make up the overall population of Papua New Guinea. So 
we have the numbers. We have the power to shift, to create a paradigm shift. Part of this paradigm shift, in line with Nelson's vision for self-determination, includes economic empowerment. I'm looking forward to see more local SMEs. That's another way I see Indians taking back Papua New Guinea is to have, um, is to create a space for young people, not just young people, but you know, everyday Papua New Guineans to um, have employment. This whole journey and direction has been, was really quite unexpected for me. It wasn't what I thought I'd end up doing uh, with my life and the career path that I would take, but it has been such a meaningful journey so far for myself and something that I would never change. Elizabeth Kite is a Queen's Young Leaders awardee and the founder of Take the Lead Tonga. Growing up in her family, the value of service was a big part of her upbringing carrying her into the work she does today. Growing up, it was instilled in me and my siblings uh, from my parents uh, from a very early age that serving was something that we were supposed to do. And I think that's most Islanders. What we do is uh, something not just for ourselves and not just for our families, it's for our communities. And I think that was something that's a value that I've carried on uh, even when we've moved out of Tonga for educational reasons uh, here to Australia. It's something that I've always held close and um, it's definitely helped me choose the right path for myself. Elizabeth adds her voice to the call for mental health, drawing from personal experience to pursue a cause she feels strongly about. I did have an uncle growing up who suffered uh, from a mental health condition that he wasn't able to get the proper help uh, for throughout his whole life. And, you know, it was unfortunate that only after his passing that I would gain the courage to try and change that for anyone else, because that type of suffering, I just don't believe needs to happen. Um, and it just certainly wasn't fair. Being exposed to multiple cultures also taught Elizabeth that she could stay true to the values of her identity while appreciating and learning from the positive aspects of new cultures. We did leave Tonga uh, to you know, get further education overseas um, in Australia. Australia's always been my second home. Um, but seeing uh, living in Australia, also Tonga, and I also lived in London. London was my first home. I think being exposed to these different cultures and different um, countries, each of them exposed to me the best of what they did. And just, you know, I've been able to apply what I've learned from each of these in the best ways for wherever I am. Elizabeth credits the Queen's Young Leaders Award with transforming her leadership journey. And the leadership program that came with it through Cambridge University helped equip her with the resources she needed to follow through with establishing a platform for underrepresented and marginalized groups in Tonga and the Pacific. The organization that I established is called Take the Lead, and uh, we focus on leadership development, particularly for those who uh, otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to do so. So we provide a lot of opportunities for young women to develop their leadership, and we provide them safe spaces to be able to do that. Uh, youth, for an example, as well, uh, we help out with the LGBT community too. But um, in that, uh, sustainability has become a really big theme for us. Um, given the current circumstances all the Pacific Islands are at right now, uh, I think it is a priority for us to really push among our young people because it is the future that it is their future that we are trying to create to be safe and a good one. 
Um, so leadership and sustainability, I would say, are the big themes are for us. This is the fifth year for Take the Lead Tonga, and in marking the occasion, they are currently working with lawmakers in Tonga to amend some of the laws, regulations and policies to improve conditions for young people and women. While legislative change is important, it also goes much deeper than that for Elizabeth. It's about being rooted in a community's culture and values so that its governance structures represent these important aspects of identity. From my own personal experience, it's easy to lose focus on what our values are as Pacific Islanders when you are in this leadership journey. And I think it's really important that while we're teaching our young that we are rooted in our values that we have. So, you know, we're family oriented. The family is the smallest unit. You know, we mustn't forget our faith as well. Um, these are what keep us grounded. And then um, we have things like the government and policies and laws to really um, support us in that further. Grounded in this firm foundation of values, Elizabeth shares her vision for Tonga in 2035. She starts out by making a strong stand for our present, not determining our future. Combating with our climate, uh, with the increased, you know, rising sea levels, increased um, extreme weather conditions. But in saying that, though, I think, you know, us Pacific Islanders, we've been leaders within the region, you know, as Tongans as well. We were leaders within the region too, but our current circumstances shouldn't uh, define what our future will look like. And I think this is the perfect opportunity and time for us to actually seize this moment and change it for ourselves and make it um, that we will be the leaders of sustainability and the leaders of adapti um, ad adapting. And we will you know, be able to actually help educate uh, the other countries after us that will, you know, no doubt also suffer the consequences that we are going through right now. And um, I think that's, you know, where we will be in 2035. Our people are natural leaders and we will continue to lead uh, despite our current circumstances right now. Seizing the moment for the Tonga she wants to see in 2035, Elizabeth is looking forward to seeing milestones along the way for a stronger, more resilient community and the impact of women in leadership. We have a program called She Leads Parliament, and these participants are all young females of Tonga, and they've come in and they've um, debated on the topic of, um, you know, surrounding adaptation and sustainability in terms of our infrastructure. And taking from these debates that they've had in the past, uh, we are actually presenting to lawmakers this year um, suggestions to amend the current regulations that we have for Tonga's infrastructure and building to ensure that all uh, buildings in the future will be Cyclone 4 resistant. Um, that is something that, you know, no other young female group has ever pushed for. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a young female group to ever push for a change of law. But I think this is how, you know, when we start to include females in leadership, uh, you start to see um, really impactful uh, changes like this. And so that's one milestone that I know will impact Tonga a great deal um, in future, especially when cyclone season is just around the corner again for us. And especially like women, I think it's natural for us to be considerate of everybody, not just ourselves. And so you often find that female leaders are actually pushing for laws that um, will benefit everybody, not just women. I thank Anna, Yasmin, Nelson and Elizabeth for sharing their bold visions for 2035 with us. 
They may have happened upon their paths in life in different ways, and yet they are all looking in and working towards the same direction, towards the horizon of the future. Their boldness is a reminder that like Elizabeth says, our present circumstances don't have to dictate what we can achieve. Nelson reaffirms that everyone has a purpose, young people included, no matter their circumstances. Yasmin reminds us why leadership must reflect the community it governs in all its diversity and acknowledging all people as being at an intersection of many different identities. Anna dreams of a better world for young women and girls and a female prime minister for her island nation. I'm dreaming right along with her. They are demanding a society in which we means a fuller we than what is currently represented. They are stepping forward into opportunities and looking to open doors wherever they can for others. And they dream of a community that is independent, sustainable, caring, safe, and thriving. They're not just dreaming, they're doing too. You can find out more about Anna's Talitha project, Yasmin's involvement in the World Bank Group's Youth Summit, Nelson's Voice Inc. and Clean Generation work, and Elizabeth's Take the Lead Tonga in our show notes. And if you'd like to hear from and support the ideas of more young leaders and visionaries of our region and the world, register to attend the World Bank Group Youth Summit on the 26th and 27th of May. It will be virtual, so you can attend from wherever you have connectivity. Thanks for joining us on this episode of VOSA. If you like what you're hearing, follow us on social media or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We love hearing from you and have had some great opportunities to share your voices and comments in our episodes. Please keep those comments and messages coming. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with people and taking time to reflect and share stories about how Pacific communities banded together to take care of one another during COVID-19. Until next time, take care and stay safe.